0: You are looking live.
1: I don't believe what I just saw. Live in the waning days of summer vacation, it's the 252. Sports Talk Radio is done by academics. I'm Chris Garretts, joined by... Chris Moore. And Sam Mulberry. Guys, it has been, boy, three months since the last 252 episode. I feel like maybe we should briefly remind people what this is. Uh, this is a <laughs> podcast that both preceded and then went along with a class at Bethel University that Chris and I taught called History and Politics of Sports. That class is now done. We're now in the middle of getting ready for fall classes, and we'll be teaching that class until maybe, what, spring of 2022. Some hazy distant future. <laughs> like we're hopefully, just assuming there will be a 2022 at this point. I'm not so sure. Yeah, hopefully
2: a post-COVID future.
1: <laughs> right. But we thought we should at least keep our our, uh, our finger on the pulse of the sporting world. So you can expect occasional 252s. And it felt like this was maybe a good week to do one. Um, for one very good reason, I'll frame it this way. Uh, Chris Moore, are, are you okay?
2: No. No, I'm not.
1: Now, <laughs> I'm not, uh, we should, I'm we not okay. We, we can't talk about 2010, I know, but I'm not sure Ohio State has ever not played football in the fall before. I did a little research, and even in 1918, in the middle of World War One and an influenza pandemic, I think they played six games. World War II, they won a national title one of those years with Paul Brown. Yeah. Yep. Um what what's going on? You're a kind of Big 10 insider. Tell us a little bit about what's happened and how people are reacting to it.
2: Oh man. So uh so what Chris is referring to is the fact that the, the Big 10 um initially uh truncated its its college football schedule and I'd say other sports are affected by this as well, both uh directly and then in a secondary way, which we can unpack both of those things. But after some deliberation and especially after seeing essentially not a second wave of coronavirus, but just a continued uh, ongoing high level of, of, of transmission uh, throughout the Midwest and, and growing levels, the Big Ten met um, and also put out uh, uh, communications to the other power conferences and tried to get their power conferences on board. They were successful with the PAC-12. Uh, But only with the Pac-12 and those two conferences essentially simultaneously announced that they would be postponing their college football seasons as well as some other sports, uh, other fall sports until the spring. Now, that postponement, everyone sort of knows is a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, cancellation, that the reasons why these teams uh, postpone their season will almost certainly lead them uh, to canceling their seasons. Uh, From the health perspective, the only other sort of thing of note that I thought was interesting for the announcement is that the Big Ten expressed concerns about the relationship between uh, coronavirus itself and a relatively rare heart condition, um, cardiomyopathy, uh, which apparently is showing up in some early cases for some young people who have since recovered from coronavirus. And so the thought is that this might unduly affect athletes and, and produce heart conditions in athletes.
1: I think it also showed up in baseball. I forget his name, but there was a Boston Red Sox pitcher who apparently suffered some cardiac effects from or cardiological effects too. Yep, yeah, exactly. So,
2: with all that, with all that in, um, Ohio State was was ranked number two in the country uh, going into this fall season. And uh, I don't know what you guys are thinking about, but if there's going to be a na- national champ- NCAA championship, it's going to be four SEC teams. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> Alabama, Auburn, um, LSU, know, LSU, Florida, Georgia. Oregon. Yeah,
1: It's <laughs> yeah. yeah, funny our is that I mean, most seasons, I think I can speak for you, Sam, but up here in Minnesota, we wouldn't even notice if the Gophers weren't playing. It's not much for loss. <laughs> but uh, for Ohio, not to have the Buckeyes playing, I'll put it this way. Two days ago, the New York Times ran a piece asking if this would actually hurt Donald Trump's prospects in Ohio because he would catch blame for the effects of COVID and football going away would be pinned on Donald Trump, which I don't know if you buy that, Chris, but I guess that's an entree to ask. Like, I wonder if, what are the political implications of, of this, given that the three power five conferences that are continuing with football are mostly covering red states in the in the mid south, southeast and Carolinas.
2: I'll tell you, Chris, I actually buy that argument. I mm-hmm. think that there is a lot of emotional attachment in the Big Ten, and not just the Big Ten, but also in the SEC. Now, the SEC is currently planning to play, but I don't think they're out of the woods yet by any means. I think there's enti- it's entirely possible that if there's a big spike of cases once school starts in place in these college towns, that we could see uh, cities like Tuscaloosa and, and you know just kind of closing things down. And, and, not, and maybe a, a four-game season uh, for college football. And that, I think that would actually be worse, right? Because Ohio State fans will now come to terms with the fact that there is no season. But almost half the season almost worse, right? If you play those first couple of games, team looks good, and then it's done. So I, I think that uh, Donald Trump could, in fact, be penalized in some of these states. Now, he's likely to win almost every SEC state anyway, but um, for states like Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, I think this uh, this is a marginal effect that we should pay attention to.
1: Because there are also like uh, economic aftershocks. I think part of what the Times article did was they talked to some people who are part of the larger economy of football. I mean, what happens to sports bar owners and people who sell merchandise and people who run restaurants and hotels by stadiums? Uh, I mean, many of whom are already taking a hit under COVID, and this I'm sure they were banking on a fall sports season to help offset some of that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think you're right about the SEC. I mean, it's not maybe less so the ECC, but. Um, well, actually, the ACC, too, the three power five conferences still planning on football. And that's some of the summer COVID hotspots there. If you've got Texas, Mississippi, Georgia, and especially Florida, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it seems very unlikely <laughs> to be able to continue on. But I, who knows? One argument that was interesting, I don't know if you guys had heard this, was that it would actually be safer for student athletes to be on campus with the regimented schedule that Division I student athletes have than if they were just either uh, regular college students or back in their hometowns. That was actually the argument, I think, that Senator Ben Sass, a former college president and Nebraska Cornhusker fan, made for why the Big Ten should continue. He said uh, football players are going to be a lot safer if they're in their own dorms, following the schedule, getting testing, than if they're doing something else.
2: I think that presumes a very Ben Sassian understanding of what college football players do on a regular basis. Uh, Now there was a proposal uh, which was floated to basically like uh, MLB put college football players in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But the, the, the optics of that, I hate that word, but I'm going to use it anyway, but the, the optics of putting a bunch of college football players essentially in lockdown, these are college students. They're not professionals. They're not being paid. Uh, mm-hmm. what, uh, is a, really was a bridge too far, and you couldn't really imagine sort of putting them under sort of a lockdown, which is sort of what SAS was indicating would be they would be doing. Just, just doesn't happen, right? And the now, other thing I thought was interesting about this. Sorry, let's get this no, up quickly. Ahead. Is that um, a number of players who issued statements, sort of joint statements, including um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields from Ohio State, uh, under the sort of "let us play" provisio, also, seem to suggest that what they really wanted out of this was a was a players union or some kind of a players association. Exactly. And Donald Trump endorsed that, which I think he probably didn't think about the implications <laughs> of what a players association would be to
1: the NCAA. But um, that's become part of the conversation as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because I mean, uh, any former students listening know that we talk a lot about uh, generally labor in sports, but also this kind of odd facet of American sports that. College student athletes are really professional athletes who don't get the benefits of it and are not unionized. But uh, at least in Pac-12, especially, there's been a pretty strong movement gathering steam. Roots of this go back farther with like the banning case and other cases about Mm -hmm. use of player likenesses. But there was a group of students in that conference trying to band together to say, well, this is a moment to assert ourselves collectively. Uh, and to get something like a union. So I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to play out in the fall or beyond it, but it certainly amplified some of the issues we've been talking about before. Uh, now, I,
0: talked... have an, oh, I have sorry. another question just in terms of, of player empowerment, uh, kind of player empowerment questions. Um, my dad brought this up as I was talking with him, and I, I actually, I don't know the answer to this, but uh, Justin Fields, Chris, he's pretty good, right? He's Yeah, he's, he's kind okay. of the yep. So Ohio State's not playing this year. Uh are things put in place? If Justin Fields said, "I think I want to transfer to Georgia so I can play this year," like can players? I mean, have they talked about our players still locked into their schools, or that's because a, I know, yeah, because I know a, in in some cases uh, when like if a coach leaves, players are allowed to transfer without having to sit out. Like, what are the rules around transferring?
2: That's a really great question, and I haven't heard the answer. The only thing I can add to that to fuel that fire is that Joe Burrows, uh, who's the you know, who's now about to be an NFL rookie, tweeted and said, if this had happened to me last year, I'd be looking for a job right now. Meaning he would be looking to transfer, to find a school that he could play at. And so he's clearly also advocating for sort of more player autonomy as well. And if I were Justin Fields, I would absolutely be petitioning the NCAA to get me to a, uh, a, a team that was actually playing, right? I mean, that would be, he's got a chance to... That whether he's drafted uh, second or 14th makes an enormous amount of difference for his own personal paycheck and he should be trying to protect that uh, I think. And so, yeah, I, I have not heard against LA make any rulings on that, but I, I wonder if you could see some kind of a um, shotgun amnesty program for players to tr- make, make rapid transfers to other schools.
1: So we've talked a lot about these Power 5 conferences. I should note that I think total something like 50 college football Division 1 programs are not playing this fall. So that includes Mountain West and uh, Mid-American, the MAC, yes. plus a couple of independents like UConn. Uh, but also then other levels. So, for example, earlier this week, I think the Northern Sun Conference, which is like Division II in the Midwest, canceled. And, uh, before that, even Bethel's Conference, uh, Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, the MIAC, had postponed their fall sports as well. Um, what does this mean for smaller colleges and universities? I mean, it's a big financial hit for these big universities, too, which have other financial challenges coming. But what does this all mean that a school like Bethel is not going to have a football season this fall or a soccer or a volleyball uh, season this fall? Is there anything we can take away from that?
2: I put Bethel in the category of Division three schools that, that take Division three sports very seriously. Uh, it's a big part of our student body experience. Students really go to the games. Uh, we have a, a high percentage of our students are for, uh, diversity athletes. So it's a big part of our culture here, and I think we're going to have to work hard as an institution to find something to fill the gap in that culture. Beyond that, though, in some ways, uh, we don't make a lot of money off of our sporting enterprises. We, we, we pay money for sports to exist at Bethel. Uh, we don't draw a lot of income from them, unlike something like Ohio State, or the University of Minnesota I saw in the Star Trib was thinking about they're going to have to cut sports just because they don't have football to pay for those sports now. And that is part of their business model. And that would probably be the case for Ohio State as well. Ohio State has the largest athletic program in the Big Ten, and football and men's basketball and women's basketball finance the rest of the sports. So if those things can't happen, they're going to have to find ways of saving money.
1: Okay, Uh, we we start by talking about college. Can we move on to pro sports, or is there anything else you want to say about the college?
2: Well, I was curious, Chris, um, do you think there'll be any um, up and down the food chain flow as a result of this? So you've got um, Division three athletes who, in theory, might say, well, I'm trying to decide between being a walk-on at the University of Minnesota mm-hmm. or being a starter at a Division three school. Does coronavirus maybe
1: affect the flow of that, or do you think that it's hitting everyone equally? I... I've not getting any thoughts to that. And the first thing that comes to mind is I'm not quite sure how the maps of the different divisions overlap. Mm-hmm. Like my sense is there's actually disproportionately a large number of division three schools in the north, northeast, midwest. You know, there are some in the south, but if you think kind of through the division three football powerhouses, they tend to be in the northern half of the country, actually. Right. Um and so they're in places where the Big Ten's not an option and the Mac's not an option. I would wonder more about like community colleges.
0: Like, I mean,
1: but I, I yeah. actually I have to say, I don't know like what Juco is doing for sports. So that, that, I think that's a good question. And maybe that goes back to the larger question about how fluid is college labor in this maybe kind of emergency situation. Um, uh,
2: that's, the, that's the thing to pay attention to, I think, more than anything yeah. else. Let's talk so, about pro sports.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think since, boy, I can't even remember, like, what had started the last time we talked about this. Things were in the works. But since then, uh, we've already alluded, I think, to a bubble or two. Uh, Major League Soccer, the NHL, National Hockey League, National Basketball Association, and WNBA have all established kind of bubbles in different locations where they're kind of competing in uh, just a couple of arenas with limited numbers of hotels, lots of testing. And then there's Major League Baseball, which decided instead, because they did think about doing this in Florida, Arizona, and maybe one other spot, that they would let players live with their families, go back and forth between the state, and they wouldn't have fans, but they would actually have a kind of shortened season, but more regional. So East plays East, Central plays Central, West plays West. And maybe not too surprisingly, it's been a little bit of a mess, right? I think the <laughs> St. Louis Cardinals have played five games. That's the that The Twins have played, what, 17 or 18 games? Yep. So I, th- I know they're working out a schedule for the Cardinals to come back and they're yeah. going to average something like 11 innings a day under the schedule with all the different doubleheaders they're going to play. And I, th- I don't think they'll even play the full 60 games. Uh, so you get these really weird standings right now. Um, what, what have been your observations about the return of pro sports? What's worked well? What you know, we've already touched on one. What, what has not worked well or what augurs poorly for pro sports under COVID?
2: Well, again, I'm not a, I'm not a sports journalist. I'm a, you know, a senior as an academic and thinking about how these systems function. Mm-hmm. And I'm not prepared yet to give anybody an A. Uh, nobody, nobody has figured this out perfectly. There are significant drawbacks to any of the solutions. But the one I'll give a B to is the NBA, Mm-hmm. Um, the NBA made the decision to basically send the poorest eight teams home. Uh, so goodbye, Golden State Warriors. Goodbye, Detroit Pistons. Goodbye, Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, but the, the remaining 22 teams went to Orlando. They were all put up at Disney World. They were not allowed to have um, wives, families present. They're just staying there with their teams. And they're all playing on these uh, improvised sort of courts at Disney World in front of no fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there are these weird video skyped in fans or or zoomed in fans, which is itself kind of hilarious, but it's, it seems to have worked. Now the problem with it is that again, talking about optics here, you have a predominantly African-American league and a league that is um, really out in front in talking about racial justice and talking about um, black lives matter and the justice for Breonna Taylor and justice for George Floyd. And all of those people are contained essentially in a bubble in Orlando. Um, and there's some tensions flaring. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but Giannis, uh, and um, was just, uh, suspended for three games for headbutting another player in the middle of the, Game mm. it's his first ever suspension, his first ever on the court physical altercation. So this is very. I mean, LeBron James got testy with his his teammates. Mm. Not unusual, perhaps for him, but there have been several other incidents like the Tempers are are flaring.
1: That's and, interesting. Um, well, and also, I mean, I, I think I mean one of the kind of inequities this points to is uh, you know all these professional athletes are getting state of the art healthcare, access to constant testing at a time when people outside those bubbles are struggling. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a racial divide there that this draws attention to. Um, I mean, I guess I felt the same. I haven't paid a lot of attention to the NBA, but watching a couple of NHL games, they they did something similar. The West Conference is up in Edmonton, the Eastern Mm -hmm. Conference in Toronto. And they've almost redesigned those arenas so that they kind of look like TV sets. You can't even see the seats. They just put up uh, uh, different displays and um, kind of a set almost that they're playing Mm -hmm. on. I mean, it makes me wonder, like – Is the lesson this how much we really love sports and missed it and we'll even watch these kind of oddly artificially constructed fan absent experiences? Or are we learning maybe we don't need sports that much and we get by? And I don't know if there's any data to support either thesis, but I know that's something we certainly talked about with students back in April and May, right?
2: I I think there's actually evidence for both of those theses, right? I think what you're seeing is a clear bifurcation where people who... There are people who are deeply invested in these sports, who are watching the NBA more, these regular season NBA games now, more than they would have otherwise. But you also have a whole bunch of people who have essentially written off this whole Corona era sports season as, um, as an artifice. And "Like so basically, I, I'm, I'm going to use this time to do other kinds of things. And so I think both those things are happening, really. I think what you're probably getting is less casual sports observation. You have the really committed fans, then you have people who are sort of checking out at that point.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. The only numbers I saw were the regional cable numbers for Major League Baseball were actually up quite a bit. I mean, I mean, especially the twins, who are a pretty good team this year. But generally, those numbers were up. But I, I had not necessarily heard that about some of the other leagues. Okay. I think it'll be
0: interesting to see that just in terms of the season, though. Too. I mean, it, it, living in Minnesota, like in summer, there's a lot of other things to do. It will be more interesting when we get to fall, late fall into winter, when it's when you're going through your Saturdays and who knows what's going to be happening with Sundays, right? Like like if those are empty, that's going to have a different feel.
1: Well, let's make this the getaway question before we wrap this up, guys. What is your prediction from all that happened with what is obviously the biggest sports industry in the United States, the National Football League? There's no preseason football, right? But I think they're on schedule theoretically to have a full season. Is that is that what you guys had heard?
2: That's my understanding. And I don't see any way that could possibly happen. I don't think there's any way the NFL plays an entire full season uh, with, with all of its teams traveling from city to city as they currently do. Um, I think they'll relatively quickly have to make one kind of decision or another to either bubble or to play shorter games with smaller rosters uh, um, or um, to have a limited number of teams, I, I, selectively, select, teams selecting out of the system. I, I don't know what that is, but it's going to be, I think – potentially the biggest disaster of all of the major sports. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even as I think about it, I was kind of struck how little I feel like I've heard from the NFL. And I don't know if they're sitting back to watch what's happening with these other leagues or waiting for COVID numbers as the summer starts to wear out, but it feels like we have to hear something
0: soon, right? Yeah. I mean, the clock is ticking. That's what I think with the NFL is like, because if you're going to put a bubble in place, I mean, think of how long the NBA talked about it and, and then how long out ahead you have to establish you don't just say we have a bubble, like you have to establish it, you have to have all everybody quarantine. I mean, I listen to a lot of interviews with players and journalists who who are there, and like you have to have two weeks of nothing but mm-hmm. <laughs> you are absolutely alone, really quarantined but and then to make the bubble work so you know, as far as they're concerned, I mean it's uh this episode's dropping on uh August fifteenth so we're talking august twenty ninth If they started today, which they're not starting today, Mm -hmm. before you could have anybody together.
1: Okay, well, we just wanted to do a short 252 today to uh, catch up with some of what's going on, to talk through some of these issues. And I'm sure we'll be back sometime in the fall to see where we are. But we always like to end these, uh, these podcasts with what we call three to see. Now, for a long time, we didn't actually have anything on TV to recommend, but we actually do have a live sports of a kind to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, Chris Moore, start us off. What's one thing people should be watching for in the next few days?
2: Sure. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the NBA relaunched season in the bubble in Walt Disney World in Orlando. As of this weekend, the seeding games between the 22 teams in the bubble have concluded, meaning that we have the top 16 teams who can then begin their playoff. It's in a similar format to what you're usually experienced. Seven game series is played within conferences leading to the NBA finals, but with very different execution, no live fans, uh, zoomed in fans, including um, a little Wayne in the last game, which was a lot of fun. Um, But here's the other thing I'm thinking about guys. There's a perverse incentive this year. Players have already been testy about playing on the, in the bubble. Tempers have flared more than usual, both on and off the court. But the more you win, the longer you stay in the bubble. So does that begin to affect marginal teams? Do we see teams sort of rolling over for the chance to just, to just go home? Mm-hmm. Uh, the teams most likely make an extended stay in Disney? Well, the top seeds are LeBron James, led by the, uh, leading the Lakers, and the Milwaukee Bucks, led by my pick for M- league MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. and um, The two seeds are also very strong. There's the talent-laden L.A. Clippers and the defending champion Toronto Raptors. Don't sleep on the Raptors. They play really good basketball. Okay, so Mulberry.
0: All right, uh, Dr. Moore, in the Mulberry house, we have a little rule. Uh, If you're playing a board game or a card game and someone pulls a suspect move that seems wrong, but everyone else is just kind of going along with it. So, for example, if somebody plays a card and then picks it back up, which clearly violates a card laid as a card played. Uh uh, In cases like that, if you feel aggrieved, you're allowed to call shenanigans. Um. Uh, and the game, the game goes on as normal, but under a cloud of shenanigans, and any win carries with it a kind of implied asterisk. Yeah. Well, today... Before this august body of the listenership of the 252, I stand here and say, nay, declare shenanigans. For three to see, you can't say the entirety of the NBA playoffs. Living through a global pandemic with very limited sports menu, and you say, I dibs the entire sport of basketball in America for the next several months? No, sir, this will not stand. So here's how you do an NBA three to see. What's the most exciting thing to see in basketball? I would argue it is amazing passing. If you don't believe me, just do a YouTube search for greatest NBA passes or search for someone like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, or Jason Kidd and great passes. You'll never want to watch a dunk compilation video again. And what's even better than great passers? Great young passers who are still on the ascent in the league. This year's bubble NBA playoff features two of the best 21-year-old passers in a long time. It kicks off with the Memphis uh, Grizzlies rookie, John Morant, who will face off against Portland and Damian Lillard with his back-to-back-to-back 40-plus-point games (laughs) in the extra play-in round for the eighth seed in the West. Morant is averaging 19 points and 9.8 assists in the bubble. And then, once round one officially kicks off later in the week, you'll be able to tune in and watch the loaded L.A. Clippers face off against the Dallas Mavericks and their 21-year-old phenom, Luka Doncic. Doncic has gone crazy in the bubble, averaging a triple double of 32, 11, and 11 through his team's first six games. Both Doncic and Morant Mar- and are fun to watch because they are guaranteed to give you at least three passes for, per game that will leave you scooping your jaw off the floor. That is a three to see for basketball. <laughs>
2: That's fantastic. I acknowledge, I acknowledge and, and humbly submit to the shenanigans. Yes, right. that's, that's,
1: I apologize. <laughs> okay, we'll figure out sanctions later on. Well, there actually are other sports in the world. Uh, today, Saturday, August 15th, later today, is the last of four Champions League quarterfinals as Manchester City take on Lyon, or Olympique Lyonnais, you guys like my French pronunciation, in Lisbon's Estadio Jose Avalade. Having already lost their domestic league title to Liverpool, the freest spending club in the premiership will be looking for European glory. It's the fourth time in their last five Champions League campaigns that Manchester City have gone this far. But at this point last year, they lost to eventual eventual finalists, Spurs, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And this weekend, City are facing a French side they've never defeated in Champions League competition. Now, the only times they played were in the 2018 group stage when Lyon drew 2-2 and 1-2-1. So I, I suspect that city are going to prevail, but uh, we will see how it goes later today. Guys, it was fun doing this again. Uh, I don't know when the next time will be, but I'll look forward to it. Chris, can you take us out?
2: Sure. On behalf of my colleagues at Bethany University and in Zoom rooms everywhere, uh, you can always get a hold of us at channel3900 at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the Channel 3900 channel. Uh, we have lots of great stuff. A tweet victory dropped today. Uh, we'll have uh, more electric therapies coming up in a couple of weeks and plenty of uh, video store and plenty of other things on the channel as the fall gets rolling. So uh, subscribe. Thanks for listening. And to hear from us again, go Royals.